Welcome to Ormwood Church in Atlanta, Georgia, and to our podcast where we share our Sunday sermons for those in Ormwood Park, Atlanta, and beyond. Our mission is to welcome everyone to explore the living God in all of our neighborhoods, and we value welcoming others, opening our minds, being of service, and participating in whatever ways God calls us. We hope you learn, grow, and find a place to belong with us. This Sunday, we have the privilege of having uh, Christina Tony Schmidt preach for us. Um, Christina is a lovely friend of mine, a colleague graduated from Candler, and she currently works with Trinity Ministries um, in the Sweet Auburn neighborhood. The scripture for today's sermon is from Matthew chapter 13, verses 31 through 33, and then 44 through 52. So listen now for a word from God. He put before them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed that someone took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all the seeds, but when it is grown, it is the greatest of shrubs and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed in with three measures of flour until all of it was leavened. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and reburied. And then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. On finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold all that he had and bought it. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and caught fish of every kind. When it was full, they drew it ashore, sat down, and put the good into baskets, but threw out the bad. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the furnace of fire, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Have you understood all this? They answered, yes. And he said to them, Therefore, every scribe who has become a disciple in the kingdom of heaven is like the master of a household who brings out his treasure, what is new and what is old. We'll take a moment of prayer with me. Gracious God, we come to you today and acknowledge the celebration of your presence. Please, Lord, let's move through this scripture and this sermon through me or in spite of it. In the name of this text comes to us in a series of parables presented in the middle of the book of Matthew, all of which follow a similar pattern of Jesus giving the kingdom of heaven is like. Some are good images, some are surprising, some are hard to grapple with. But before we talk about the gnashing of teeth, I want to talk about some of the similes and metaphors. In 12th grade, I took an AP literature course with a teacher named Mr. Siegel. And he refused to accept any similes in in the papers we printed to him. He said the word like offered a weak comparison and he challenged us to use more direct metaphors. This is the year that I read Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, in which there are an abundance of metaphors, if we go over. And Mr. Spiegel raised up one passage where the creature confronts the creator, Dr. Frankenstein, and he says this, remember, I am thy creature. I ought to be thy Adam, but rather I am the fallen angel, who thou drivest from joy for no mistake. I was benevolent and good. Misery made me a friend. Isn't the image of saying, I am Adam, 
more powerful than saying, I am like Adam? And isn't it more tragic to be a fallen angel than like a fallen angel? I imagine Mr. Siegel might be disappointed at this particular translator's insistence that the kingdom is like and like and like and not that the kingdom is. And the parables right today are only a sample of the book of Matthew's parables about what the kingdom of heaven is like and only a drop in the bucket of what scripture has to say. And I imagine that Mr. Spiegel would argue the images of the kingdom of heaven would be much more powerful if the translator said that the kingdom of heaven is a mustard seed or is a woman who bakes bread in very large quantities early in the morning. But even as a simile for comparison, the first two images we encounter would be a surprise to Jesus' audience. The mustard seed growing into a tree indicates a mustard seed that has grown for a really long time. While a mustard seed is typically considered a bush, it can grow several feet tall, and so in order for it to be as tall as a tree, it implies that it has been planted, watered, and nourished for years, possibly seconds. The kingdom of heaven is not immediate, and not always how we would identify it. The kingdom of heaven is an unassuming kitchen herb and the second parable we're introduced to is a woman baking with yeast in large quantities. To Jesus' audience, the use of yeast might be surprising. Previously, yeast and stories have been related to ideas of corruption. In the book of Leviticus, our favorite book in the Old Testament, when Jesus' people received instructions about offerings to God, the grain offering had to be without yeast. And at other times, Jesus himself had warned his disciples of the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees, the ways in which their teaching and instructions might have hidden corrupt meanings and motives. So the use of yeast is a surprise to this community, as well as the quantity. It says in the scripture, three measures, which is about 60 pounds of dough, plus the yeast that's going to cause it to rise indicates that this loaf could be fed, could feed up to like 100 people. The use of yeast as a positive image, the amount and the ways in which yeast acts, unseen and slowly, is a shock to the audience. The kingdom of heaven is shocking and surprising, slow to grow, hidden, and also, according to Jesus, more. The next parable lays out a situation in which the kingdom is like a treasure hidden in a field that a man stumbled upon, conceals again, and buys the field without telling the original owner which feels a little ethically shame. And then the kingdom is like a pearl that a merchant, upon finding it, sells everything despite good fiscal sense. And so far, we have that the kingdom is potentially ecologically ill-defined, breaking unleavened traditions, shockingly growing slowly and suddenly, hidden and problematic, economically devastating, and joyful. It is also like a net that catches all sorts of fish and sorts them out, determines the good and the bad, and throws some back into the ocean. Jesus does not give us the definition of good and bad. The kingdom is mysterious and ill-defined. It is like a lot of things that Jesus' audience experiences in their day-to-day lives that would not call kingdom-like. And I think about what would happen if we took my AP literature teacher's advice and applied it to the scripture. If we chose to make the images stronger, more potent, use direct extended metaphors instead of similes, then how would they be interpreted by Jesus' audience? And I kind of imagine that it would go something like this. 
How about after hearing that the parable, after hearing the parable about the kingdom of heaven is a mustard seed, all of the community's farmers would abandon their crops and only grow mustard. And every year during the harvest, the community would come together and throw a huge mustard festival. They braid yellow flowers in everyone's hair and eat mustard salads, and the song Yellow by Coldplay would play on repeat. And everyone would take a break from their labors during this time and rejoice in the color of abundance and say, This fellowship and this joy is the kingdom of heaven. And then the kingdom of heaven is a baker who bakes huge quantities of leavened bread. The community actually has to rebuild all of their bakeries to accommodate the huge sizes of these loaves. There is a team of meters for dough this large now, and every day families line up outside these bakeries for slices of bread that are as tall as their youngest child. And they break the bread together over dinner each night to say, surely this is the kingdom of heaven. And when they hear that the kingdom of heaven is a treasure hidden in the field, it causes hell. Because now no household would want to sell their land, and actually all of them have selected a family member to be a treasure hunter that spends all day walking through the fields, hoping to trip over a piece of the kingdom. No one sells or trades land anymore, because what if they miss it? What if the kingdom of heaven is right under their nose, but they just didn't look hard enough? Everyone is alert to their fields and how the kingdom might possibly be present there. And all of the merchants abandoned their trades in search of the kingdom pearl. And when one thinks he has found it, which he often does, he sells everything, creating a growing, houseless population of men who are obsessing over and clutching their pearls for all to see. But the community comes together and houses those who have sold everything because they believe that the kingdom is worth it. And at the end of each day, after all the mustard salads, eleven grand fifty. And men have tripped over treasures and sold their livelihoods. The whole community gathers at the docks to witness the net being pulled in. And the net is the kingdom of heaven, too. It catches everything, but it's not a cast net song. It's a huge net that is hooked between two boats, and it runs from the bottom of the ocean to the top. So it catches literally everything as the boats go forth through the day to come back. The net is known for catching the best of the fish, and the stinky ones, and the ones that have spikes for gills and everything in between. It catches old worms and nets. It catches seaweed and trash and other fish parts. And every day the community practices the ritual of sorting. They come together and they argue about what is good and what should be thrown back. You see, there's some people in the community that you see everyone in general already in the community had abandoned all of their other crops to grow mustard. So they really rely on the fishermen to help provide sustenance for everyone. And all of the welders and the craftsmen abandoned their trades to hunt for treasures, so they stopped making new fishnets and lures in general. And the merchants had abandoned all other trade with other communities to search for pearls, so the community in general was in desperate need of some of the trash that was captured for resourceful and reused purposes. You can only live off a mustard salad and leavened bread for so long. Now, some of the sorters were fish purists. They only wanted to hold on to the good, whole fish and throw all of the others back, let alone keep seaweed or trash or old lures or other fishy needs. 
But some thought that the spiky fish or the fish parts could be used for fish soup and wanted to be resourceful, and even others wanted to keep all the trash found to figure out how it could be used in their community. And after so much arguing, the community fractured. Some parts of the community kept only certain fish, some kept all the fish and nothing else, some kept everything, and even more were more picky about what was good enough to Soon, there were dozens of fractured communities with all different opinions about what was good and what should be thrown back, and they split completely over the interpretation of the kingdom as net. Soon, the mustard festivals each year became multiple smaller festivals, each practiced individually by each smaller community with their own roots. And the bread in general was left bountiful, and there were few, fewer treasures and pearls found each year. And eventually, the community as a whole forgot why they celebrated the mustard, har the, mu the mustard harvest in the first place. God's people are known for their forgetfulness. When parables are explained, they are sometimes reduced to an allegory and lose their flexibility and creativity in the interest of clarity. Similarly, when the kingdom of heaven is explained, we lose the creativity of what the kingdom of heaven can be for the sake of living clearly. Jesus offers these comparisons of kingdom of heaven, but does not limit the kingdom of heaven to them. To say the kingdom is like something is to provide space for the kingdom to be like something else as well. When I was working in children's ministry a few years ago, uh, we would play this game in which we asked what we thought the kingdom of heaven was like that day. And some of the answers that we came up with were a bouncy house, in an arcade with infinite quarters and a decade that tasted like cotton candy. And I don't think that Jesus would say no to any of these images. He would offer an invitation saying yes and. The kingdom of heaven is abundant and surprising. It grows solely like a mustard bush. It is an unseen catalyst like this. It is a secret, a treasure hidden in a sidewalk cracked waiting to be tripped on and it is economically nonsense and joyful. The kingdom of heaven is surprising both how we encounter it here on earth and what is to come. But when we try to define it, when we insist on what it is, not what it is like, when we demand it to be clarified, we leave others out. And while Jesus may not be clear on what exactly the kingdom of heaven is, he is clear on this. We are not called to make decisions on who is and who is not invited into the kingdom, now before coming. When we decide who is invited into the kingdom of heaven, we reject the mysterious and surprising work of the kingdom. We are invited to be in awe and wonder, to be surprised about how the kingdom works in our everyday lives. We are not called to define how the kingdom shows up, but to be open to it when it does. At the end of the scripture, Jesus leaves his audience with one more image. It is that of teachers who bring out both old and new treasures. Those who are curious about the kingdom, who seek to be a part of it, will continue to collect new understandings of what the kingdom can be. They have boxes in storage about all the ways the kingdom has shown up in their lives. And when another opportunity comes up that demonstrates the kingdom, they pack away this experience and are open to more. The power of stating what the kingdom of heaven is like 
is that it does not limit what the kingdom of heaven can be and who can be there. And I'm sure this is a lesson that my AP literature teacher, literature teacher already knows. Teachers have a way of pushing your context and your understanding. When we're talking about Mary Shelley, who pulls the box of direct metaphors out and holds those of a powerful image, saving the lesson for unlimited similes for another day. But when we don't limit our metaphors, they are empowered to grow in exciting and unexpected ways that catch us off guard and bring us awe and joy and further in the community with one another. Now, I'm under the impression that we have a talk back to I also have questions to offer to you in whichever style Let's take a deep breath and give a minute of silence. So if you have any questions, or thoughts, or reactions, you can let those bubble up to the surface and then go from there. 